Hey everybody, it's Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So on today's show, we're going to talk about how to discern God's will for your life. Not just God's general will, but how to take those spirit-led next steps. Sometimes people make Christianity about a lot of rules and laws and regulations to follow, or about a very few laws and rules and regulations to follow. Let's get out of legalism into spirit-led freedom. We're talking about that on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Stay tuned. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. go. We got everything ready here. I'm set up in our studio, which really is just the dining room table. And uh, my cat, Derp, we have two cats here, Derp and uh, Sybil. Sybil just runs away, but Derp is set up purring next to me. But this is his new tradition, so I'm not going to kick him out of here. It's nice to have a co-host for the show. So uh, on today's show, I want to talk about uh, being spirit-led. And um, basically, not well, when you say being spirit-led... The people get nervous about charismatics and Pentecostals are like, you're hesitant. You're like, oh, no, I knew I shouldn't have been listening to this podcast. I, I What I really want to talk about is discerning God's will for our life. How does God move in our life? And, you know, even to start things off, uh, sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to live emotional. I don't, I don't want to be an emotional faith. I just want to believe God by faith, right? I'm not about emotionalism. And whenever we talk about spirit-led or interacting with the spirit, they begin to think in terms of emotionalism, maybe hanging from the chandeliers, maybe from uh, snake handling. And we don't handle snakes in our church. I mean, we let the snakes roam around. But no, no, we don't, we don't handle snakes. Uh, we don't like chandeliers. We, we don't do that. Uh, but the reality is God interacts with humans, and every Christian believes that. What we argue about is the extent to which God interacts with humans. And I'll, I'll tell you, we all believe that God interacts with humans at an emotional and at an experiential level. Every believer believes that. People go, I, I, don't, I don't want this emotionalism. I don't want you know Christianity to be about you know just experiences. It's got to be about faith in God, and it's got to be rooted in things that aren't tied to human experience. But that's not how we come to Christ. There's something that happens, right, where, well, like, even think about the faith encounter of knowing that God is God, or knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior. How did, how did that happen? At some level, 
God interacted with you. We we all believe that. I, well, I shouldn't say we all. There's some guy out there who's like, I don't believe any of this. Well, besides that guy. Okay, that guy, by the way, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, you do your thing. But for most of us, we believe it didn't start with us, right? It started with God, right? We didn't create ourselves. We didn't start this journey. God created us, and and God found us. God found us in our sins. We're not smart enough to find God. We're not God. So God found us, and God started the conversation, right? Now, how did God communicate with us? God didn't communicate to us through theology. God didn't communicate to us through theory. God communicated to us through experience. There had to be an actual, tangible interaction. And it was an emotional interaction as much as it was an intellectual interaction. You can't separate those things. We don't just interact with someone intellectually and not emotionally. The emotions and the intellect are tied together. They're not separate. That's a mythology that some people see kind of like, well, you know, we got the intellect on one side and the emotions on the other, and we try to just be balanced. That's just a myth. We're fully emotional human beings, and we're fully intellectual human beings, and we just exist that way. We always exist emotionally, and we always exist intellectually, and God interacts through the human. And so God had to connect with us at some level, right? For us to know God, God had to intersect with our plane, with our plane of existence. And so he communicated to us in a very experiential way so that we would know him. And people will say, well, it wasn't experiential. You know, I just knew by faith. Well, how did you know by faith? So even let's say at the most minute, non-experiential way, at some level in your mind, some synapse, some neuron, something in your brain God touched the hand of God. Let's say you don't even want the hand of God because that's too much experience. Maybe the pinky of God or the pointy finger of God touched a synapse in your brain. Maybe you're like, eh, I don't like God's, you know, maybe it's not his finger. Maybe God just spoke. God whispered. He said, Doug. And something about God saying your name touched something in your brain that made you go, God is real. There had to be some intersection between God and your human existence that was experiential. And it wasn't just intellectual, it was emotional that you you felt it, you sensed it, you knew that God is real. You knew that you had a savior, you knew that you were a sinner, you know, the, the full extent of it. You knew that you needed to repent and come to God. You knew, and, and even for people who, whether you believe God starts that journey or does it completely or you're a part of that journey, at some level, you know that happened. You were a part of that. God interacted with you. So every Christian believes that Christianity has an experiential component, that God can touch your brain, touch your heart, and it's not, well, no, he didn't touch my brain. He, you know, it's a spiritual thing. Well, how did you know you had that spiritual encounter. Your brain figured it out. God somehow made it where your brain figured it out, right? So this is what is so funny to me, is people will say, well, you know, you can feel God in your brain, in that you can have a knowledge of God in your brain, but if you said something like, I feel God in my hands, you go, well, that's weird. You're a crazy, weird, experiential guy. 
What a nutcase. You feel God in your hands? Man, you're an experiential wacko. In your brain, totally makes sense. The fact that God would touch your brain as an organ, totally makes sense. That God would touch your hands, you are a wacko, experiential nut job. The fact that you would hear or experience God through a neuron firing in your brain, totally makes sense. That is high church, liturgy, perfect, fine, wonderful. That you would feel God in any other part of your body, totally weird. That you would sense God in knowing that you are saved, totally makes sense. That you would sense God in leading you to make a decision, totally weird. God doesn't teach us how to make decisions. He just lets us know that we are saved. What you find is a lot of the arguments are not about whether God interacts with humanity or whether there's experientialism or experiential realities in our faith. We're just arguing to the extent to which God interacts with humanity and to the extent to which we experience God. And we're arguing at what parts of God or what parts of the human body or what parts of the human existence does God actually interact with? Does God interact with my brain, but not with my hands? Does God give me discernment about my salvation and also about how to parent? Does he just give me general terms or does he give me specific terms? Even the concept of preaching. You'll hear preachers, they'll stand up there and go, you know, I don't believe that God is giving us the specific revelation of where you can pray and he's going to tell you, I want you to go to this person and speak to this person and you pray and he says, I want you to do this versus that. Like, I don't believe in that. You just need to believe in the word of God. And you listen to that pastor and you go, yes, he's right. Well, why would you believe that pastor's right? Because God informed your mind to believe that that pastor's right. Even there, you're believing that God is working on your mind to, to discern that what the pastor is saying is correct, which is the same kind of experiential, relational, spirit-led discernment as someone is having, believing that they are supposed to listen and follow God and go over to their neighbor and bring their neighbor a pie or something. But we'll make fun of that if someone prays and says, well, I think God told me to make this person a pie. We'll go, what a crazy, foolish person. But if someone else says, I believe God told me that I'm supposed to just, you know, believe by faith and not be led by anything else than that, that that is somehow better. So I'm going to put that all out there because I believe that for Christians, we are led by God in more than just this general knowledge of our salvation, but that God leads us daily. And I think we even have a model for this in the Bible. I talk about this, actually, in uh, my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. There's a chapter in there on Pentecost and why Pentecost is so important. And one of the things I think we miss in Pentecost is the parallels of Pentecost for the New Testament church and what it meant before Christ came. Before Christ came, uh, Pentecost was celebrated for a very specific reason. You had Passover was celebrated. Again, this is before Christ came. So Passover was celebrated for what purpose? Passover was celebrated of uh, the children of Israel being freed from bondage in Egypt. And then Pentecost, it means 50, Penta, 50 days, and it was 50 days after Passover. And so Pentecost, uh, it was like the 49th day, it was the 50th day after it was celebrated, basically, what, what they did, and, and you don't see this in the Old Testament, but what they actually did on that day is they celebrated the giving of the law on Pentecost. Again, this is before Acts 2. This is 
This is why they had gathered together, because Pentecost existed before the Holy Spirit was poured out, right? That on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. If you tell Christians now, what is Pentecost? They'll say, that's the day the Spirit was poured out. Well, that's actually not what Pentecost was. The Spirit was poured out on Pentecost so that we would know why the Spirit was poured out. So on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were gathering and the church was gathering to celebrate the giving of the law. Their belief was that uh, Passover was the celebration of the children of Israel being released from bondage, and they were led out into the wilderness. But what happened when they were in the wilderness? They're like, okay, we're free from bondage, but we don't know how to live, right? We don't know how to live. And so on Pentecost, you know, after in the wilderness for a while, Moses goes up into the holy mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down. He says, this is how to live. This is how you're going to live. So they would celebrate the giving of the law. So Passover is the celebration of being freed from bondage. Pentecost is the celebration of the giving of the law, showing us how to live. So in the New Testament, what is our Passover? Well, our Passover, our Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. That's Easter. That's the resurrection. That's the cross. Jesus Christ has freed us from bondage. He has set us free. So, right, that's our Passover now. It's Easter. It's Jesus Christ. We are set free from bondage. We are freed from Egypt. We're freed from our bondage. We're brought out into this wilderness. But the next question is, how do I live? And so Jesus says to the disciples, wait, wait, before you go out and do anything, I want you to wait so that you're clothed with power from on high. And this is where we miss what Pentecost is all about and what spirit-led living is all about. So they wait. They wait those 50 days, or 49 days, and on the 50th day, as they're reading about the giving of the law, the law that was given to show the, the Israelites how to live, how to live once they were freed from bondage, as they're waiting, they've been freed from their sins through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And immediately they understand the connection. Oh, this is how we're going to live. We're not going to live based on the law. We're not going to live based on rules and regulations and rituals. We're going to live based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. We've been set free from our sins, but we've been set free not to go back into legalism or into bondage, but to be led by a personal relationship with the resurrection presence of Jesus Christ through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus, how was Jesus led in his baptism? The Father said, this is my Son, in him I'm well pleased, the favor of the Father. What is the favor of the Father? It's the cross, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the favor of the Father, that's our Passover, that's our freedom from Egypt. And then what else did Jesus have besides the favor of the Father that rested upon him? He was, the dove descended upon him in the baptism, and he was led by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So now we are what? Led by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. How did he follow Christ? Through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So how do we live our life? We don't just live our lives by faith. Yes, faith is the foundation. But it's more than faith. It's more than just faith that leads us out of bondage into freedom. It's more than just our Passover. It's more than just our Easter. It's also Pentecost. It's you've led me out of bondage into freedom so that now you can lead me not by the law, 
not by rules, not by regulations, but by your spirit. And if you look at it in this context, so much of the writings of the Apostle Paul make sense. Because what does the Apostle Paul constantly contrast? He constantly contrasts contrast being led by the law versus being led by the Spirit. And in fact, he will contrast three elements. He talks about being read, led by the law, being led by the flesh, and being led by the Spirit. And he uses the law and the flesh in two different ways. The law, you know, as, as the Israelites are led by the law, and then those who aren't under the law, who aren't Jews, who aren't the Israelites, uh, just humans in general, the flesh. The flesh is just people who are led by their own desires and their own wants and their own laws. He goes, we don't live our life based on laws and rules and regulations, and we don't live our lives based on our own desires. We live our lives based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what you see right now in many Christian circles are Christians who've been saved. They've been saved from Egypt, and their salvation is secure. They are set free from bondage. They've had their Easter. They've had their Passover. But they didn't wait to be clothed with power from on high. They don't understand that spirit-led existence. And so they're just wandering in the wilderness with not an understanding of the fact that God wants to personally lead them, not through laws, not through rules, not through regulations, but through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what I've seen that's happened. And so many of the arguments about Christianity really come from two camps of legalism. There are many Christians, in fact, maybe the majority of Christians in America, that were raised in a form of legalism. And I can see it maybe as extreme Baptist, and I'm sorry just for picking Baptist. There's other forms of legalism. Uh, there's forms of legalism among Pentecostals, too. So it, 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 it's in any denomination. You can turn any freedom into a form of legalism, and any group that has legalism can also have people who are free. But what you've seen is some people were raised in environments that once you became saved, they gave you a list of things. They said, these are all the things you must do to express yourself as a righteous Christian. You, you got to do what are these 20 things, these 40 things, whatever they are. You, you need to not drink. You need to not smoke. It's like, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. Better not go to a movie or a movie house. Don't dance, right? The joke is, don't uh, engage in premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. You know, don't, don't engage, you know, wear your hair a certain way, listen to a certain kind of music, wear a certain kind of clothes. There's a whole gamut of what that legalism is, and there's all these expectations of legalism. In some circles, uh, there were parents who had radical salvation experiences, and they came out of incredible darkness, and the Lord told them, you know, don't no longer do these things, but their kids did not have those radical experiences, and the parents just took those things that God told them, and they placed it upon the kids. You know, sometimes when we encounter God, God will call us to holiness. Like, you know, you're an alcoholic, uh, you're a drug addict, you're, you're, you know, dealing with sex and all kinds of garbage in your life, and you come to Christ, and Christ says, I don't ever want you to go into that bar again. I don't ever want you to take a sip of that drink. I don't ever want you to listen to that kind of music again. Those decisions of holiness come out of a radical relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Well, what happens is they'll take those, those things that God has told them, and then they place them on the next generation. But that next generation didn't have that radical encounter with Jesus. 
And so what happens? First-generation holiness becomes second-generation legalism. I'm going to say that again. First-generation holiness that was rooted in relationship becomes second-generation legalism that's just about laws and regulations, and it doesn't flow from relationship. And so you found many people, many Christians were raised in that legalism. Maybe their parents uh, did these things because it came out of relationship, but for them, they were just raised in that legalism. A good Christian does these things. And so they've rebelled against that. And so if they, some just aren't Christians anymore, but those who've maintained staying Christians, one of the sad things I've seen is not that they've moved from legalism to spirit-led living. They've just moved to a new form of legalism. The old form of legalism was a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws, a bunch of regulations. Their new legalism is like no laws, no rules, no regulations, or maybe just a few laws. And you'll see this, they're just all over social media. They're just everywhere. They were raised in an environment where it said, don't drink. So the new environment is, you can drink. And so they're just, you know, I'm free, I can drink, doesn't matter. And they're talking about how drunk they get and how they're a little tipsy and how they love Jesus. And their law is just, hey, if you're a Christian, you can drink, it doesn't matter. Well, here's the problem. That is just flat out legalism. Because some Christians should never drink, ever. If you pray and you listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will say, you should not be drinking. Uh, whenever you drink, you get tipsy and you shouldn't be tipsy because it changes your personality. You shouldn't drink. The way you're drinking is going to raise an alcoholic in your family. And you know that. And if you stopped and you listened to me, you'd know your drinking isn't healthy. You know, it's not a good way that whenever you have a party, you always have to have alcohol around. And the fact that you're showing your kids that you always have to have alcohol around in order to be happy is not a good thing to show them. And you can justify it all you want, but you know there's a problem. And if you'd listen to me, I'd tell you clearly, you got to get rid of that. But instead of you having that relational thing, instead of you listening to the Holy Spirit, you just formed a new form of legalism. The old legalism was no alcohol. The new legalism is I'm not going to listen to God. I'm just going to have the new law. The new law says I can drink. It's just a new form of legalism. The old legalism was this. You got to go to church every Sunday. The new legalism is don't have to go to church. And then you argue that ah, Christians don't have to go to church. Christians do whatever they want. Christians can, and you just make your new legalism and you argue for your legalism. But if you spent time listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would say, hey, here's the deal. You know that you need to be involved in a body. And it doesn't matter what that person over there is doing or what that person over there is doing. You've been running away from the body of Christ. Even saying these general things, there's people out there going, hey, you can't tell me what to do. And you're exactly right. I can't. But the Holy Spirit can. And if I were to come here and say, everyone needs to do this next step, I'd be wrong because I don't know where you are at in your journey. But the Holy Spirit does. And what you see is this, this legalism first generation and second generation. And so many of the fights on social media are the people who came out of a bunch of laws. And now there's no laws. And they fight with the same legalism of we're right because we do these things and you're right and we're right because we do these things and they go back and forth with that and we love these people because they do these things and we don't love those people because they don't do these things. And they, and they create these factions and these camps and these partisan polarized groups. But to me, this isn't spirit-led living. So the Apostle Paul deals with these things. And this is where I come to all this is that we have been called to Pentecost for the purpose of being led relationally by the Holy Spirit. And I'll just bring one scripture that kind of processes that for me. And this might help some of you. 
This is to me how to, how to basically, I'm just talking about this, is how do we live led by the Spirit? Paul in Romans 8, we'll just go Romans 8, 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh. Now, some, some uh, translations will translate flesh sinful nature, and I think that is a form of Calvinism that has been pushed into the Scripture. Because if you actually look at the Greek, the Greek here for flesh is just sarka. It's just flesh. When Paul uses the word flesh, all he's saying is our bodies, our human bodies, just us, humans, our flesh. Those who live according to the flesh, katasarka. He contrasts those who live according to the flesh versus those who live according to the spirit, katanuma. So whether you live a good life in your body or a bad life in your body, whether you do good things or bad things, it's not about like your wicked nature, your wicked things you do. He's not talking about flesh in terms of just like, you know, evil, wicked things your flesh does, just, just even nice things your flesh does, you know, good works, just if you live according to the flesh. Flesh is like sensuality, and even sensuality, we think, oh, sensuality, you mean like lusting? No, just sensuality is what I taste, what I touch, what I see, it's your senses. If you live according to your senses, it's going to bring death. And we know that, right? If you live according to your flesh, you're gonna die. We're all going to die in our flesh. We need a resurrection. We need the Spirit of the Lord to resurrect these mortal bodies. Our flesh, no matter how it lives, is going to die. So Paul follows this argument again and again. Those who live according to the flesh will die. Those who live according to the Spirit have life. And that's not just resurrected life. It's also in this present age. Our future resurrected life that will occur because of the resurrection that will occur through the power of the Holy Spirit in us is present today, that the Holy Spirit can lead us. But we still have a choice. We can be led by the flesh, our sensuality, by our senses, by what I taste and touch and smell and want to do, or by what the Spirit of the Lord is leading me to do. But Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 8 of Romans, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Like, we just know if I live my life for this flesh, this flesh is going to die. But those who set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. That's Adam and Eve from the beginning. It's about me. I'm going to serve the created versus the creator. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, so our bodies died on the cross, is the body's dead because of sin, that when we received Christ on the cross, our bodies died on the cross, sin was, death was put on the cross, we died on the cross, we no longer live, Christ lives in us. He says, so although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So we've been given the Spirit because of the righteousness of God. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So we have the spirit in us, but we have to, just like they had to do in the receiving of the law, just as they had to do at Pentecost, we have to receive that spirit. Just as every generation had to receive the law, just as every person had to receive the law, we have to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And it goes on and on, but the basic concept here is that you have the Spirit of the Lord within you, that through salvation, your sins died on the cross, and so you died to living for yourself. You have the Spirit of the Lord within you, but now you must choose to be led and to live by the Spirit so that you can live for Christ. That's a choice you can make or not make. And that's the question I ask you. Have you chosen to live according to the Spirit or to live according to the flesh or according to the law? Are you living based on a bunch of laws and rules and regulations, a bunch of churchy things? Or are you living based on your reaction to churchy things? Is your life just a reaction to the churchy things you were raised in? That's just legalism. Or are you doing things just based on the flesh, what you feel? I don't feel like it. Or I do feel like it. I do the things I feel like. I don't do the things I don't feel like. That's living according to the flesh and sensuality. Or have you learned to live according to the Spirit? Have you received your Pentecost and do you live according to the Spirit? So I just want to give you some really, I don't want you to feel bound. I don't don't want you to feel judged. I want you to be free to be led by the Spirit. I want to give you some ways that I walk and live according to the Spirit. I do believe that every person has the gift of being able to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I do do believe that that is a second work in this sense, that just as the Bible gives a Passover and a Pentecost, that we have a salvation and a Pentecost. That Passover, they're freed from bondage in Egypt, and they receive the law as a second thing. They receive salvation at the cross, but the ability for God to lead us, God says, hey, I saved you, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to say yes or no to my leadership. I'm not going to make you follow me. I'm going to save you, but I'm not going to make you follow my lead. So I want you to wait. Wait for my spirit and yield to my spirit. And if you want my spirit to lead you, I will fill you to overflowing with my spirit and I will baptize you with my spirit. But if you don't want my spirit to lead you, I'll save you, but you're still going to wander because I'm not going to force you to hear me and I'm not going to force you to follow me and I'm not going to force you to be my son and daughter. In this sense, I'm not going to force you to be obedient. That's how great his grace is. And I believe we have a lot of people who are saved, but they're not very obedient. They're living in forms of legalism, in forms of fleshly, sensual desires or just emptiness. It's even hurting them. I mean, again, it's not fleshly as I'm doing things that please me. It's just they're living based on their pain and their hurt or laws that were placed upon them that God never desired to place upon them. I believe right now he's still coming to us and saying, I would love to lead you. I would love to help you if you'd let me. So here's ways, once you've yielded to the Holy Spirit, here's to me practical ways that we can be spirit-led. You know, obviously, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and obviously, to me, to be in the Word of God, I believe the Word of God is sacred. I believe the Word of God testifies to the Spirit of the Lord within us. And as you read the Word of God, it comes alive because the Spirit of God is alive in us. And so, to me, it's more than just any other book. It's a magic book to me. 
And uh, I believe there's a reason that people uh, avoid the, the Word of God. I believe there's a reason that it becomes corrupted in people's minds. And I believe if you don't have an understanding of a relationship and spirit freedom, that the Word of God will become a legalistic tool that will harm you and harm others. So it's very important to develop that relationship with God and Him speaking to us and leading us as we engage the Word of God. Otherwise, it can become a tool that can harm you and harm others. But I do believe it's very important to be in the Word and to see the Word for its life-giving power. And I do believe uh, Satan wants to corrupt the Word so that we don't go to it or that we only look to it uh, either as a way to harm others or we just look to it uh, in ways uh, just... uh, in ways of confusion and deception. But the Word brings life. Prayer brings life. A healthy community brings life. But here's just some practical ways. If the Holy Spirit is within us, God will lead us. So here's some ways to be led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's one. I'll just number them. I'm going to enumerate things. One, uh, start asking God yes or no questions. In the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy uh, part of the Holy Spirit being poured out is we can prophesy. And prophecy is to know the will of God in part. We don't know completely, but to know in part God's will for our life. So start asking God yes or no questions. Instead of waiting for God to speak or write on the wall, just ask him questions. And it can be like this. Uh, you're in the middle of a conflict with your spouse and it's not going well. Just ask God questions. Uh, and, and not even like, you know, what should I do? But ask him things like this. Um, should I go into that other room? Should I go be with her? Should I stop yelling and go, yes or no? Should I stop yelling? Yes or no? Yes or no? Should I say I'm sorry? Yes or no? Yes or no? Should I, should I give her a hug? Yes or no? Yes, yes, no, no. I'll do this. I'll just go, yes, yes. Should, should, I, should I go sit next to that person? Yes, no. Should I talk to them? Yes, yes, no, no, no. And what I find is an answer will rise up. Often it will rise up. And just the engaging of that yes or no question uh, has a resolve rise up in me where I feel stronger about my next step. What should I do? Yes or no? Should I should I should I play with my kids right now? Should I should I stop working? Yes or no? Should I should I stop working? Should should I do the podcast now? Yes, yes, no, no, no. What? As I ask those questions, I begin to partner with the Spirit of the Lord. I would encourage you to do that this week. Just begin to ask God yes or no questions. Should I should I go back to school? Should I start back on my, my doctorate? Should I start on my master's? Sh- should I take that next step towards ministry? Should I go talk to the pastor? Yes or no? Yes, yes, no, no. Just begin to ask those questions. It's amazing what happens. I think Satan doesn't want us to take our next step. It's amazing what happens when you start taking that next step. Another way that I've found myself led by the Holy Spirit is I will sometimes close my eyes or I'll just in my mind imagine myself taking the next step. I see it like a forward shadow. You know how the shadow behind you, I see like my next step. What's the next thing I'm going to be doing? And it's amazing how God will show me a next step. Not a next step like, you know, I can imagine my future, but just a next step. And this has helped me greatly in in my marriage. I've even found it where I'm just stuck. You know, Jennifer and I might be arguing and I'll just imagine a next step and I'll see my hand, you know, gently touching her neck or... I'll see myself giving her an embrace or kissing her on the lips. It's, it immediately, what happens is it separates myself from me and allows God to enter into the equation. Ask yourself yes or no questions. Maybe just 
see the next step. See what that is, just what's supposed to come next. So often we just get stuck in this moment that we don't allow God to show us the next step. And we're inviting him into that equation, aren't we? So much of being spirit-led really is acknowledging that God is in the room, which is what I want to close with. I know I've gone a while here and been kind of preachy, but kind of preachy. I'm just preachy. You know who I am. But I remember once I was uh, trying to finish a paper in seminary, and our computer died. Because you know that's how it works, right? Everything's going fine, and then the last second your computer dies. And So I had to go to a friend's house, and my wife helps edit my papers. I'm dyslexic, and I'll finish, and then she goes over them at the end for the grammar. And at that time, she had to do a lot more work because I wasn't as good at this. And So she's there with me, and we're sitting down, and we're at a friend's house. And the friend's up, and it's late at night. And I'm sitting down with my wife, and I'm, and I'm cranky, and it's late, and and you know we're going over it, and something happens, and immediately I just kind of go into this dynamic, because normally when we're editing, no one's around. It's just my wife and I, and she says something, and I'm like, oh, why? And I just start talking irritable to her. I just start going, no, it's, I, I, it's there. It's not here. It's like I'm just, I'm talking to her. It's shameful to say this, but I think you understand. It's private talk. It's like the habit of how we would talk. It's like, no, it's right here. It's, it's the third paragraph, not the second paragraph. And she lets me talk that way to her. And by the way, this is not justifying my behavior, but she's just nice and nicer than me. And and I think even then, she probably didn't have as much voice. Today, she wouldn't let me do that. She'd be more, I think, you know, hey, Doug, knock it off. But I, rem- I remember I was talking that way, and then I was like, oh, I realize there's someone else in the room. And again, this just looks terrible on me. And I'm like, oh, I can't talk that way because right over there is Ron. You know, Ron's over there, and I go to seminary with him, and... Uh, he's seeing me treat my wife poorly because I knew she, I'm, I look bad, right? She doesn't look bad. I look bad. And so then I'm like, uh, no, it's, it's the second paragraph, honey. It's not the third. And I'm, I'm having to control how I behave, not live according to the flesh that I'm irritated, not live according to how I feel because there's someone else in the room. Ron being in the room isn't controlling how I'm behaving. And it reminded me something very important. Jesus is always in the room. When there's one in the room, there's always two people in the room. When there's two in the room, there's always three. Being led by the Holy Spirit is acknowledging that the Spirit of the Lord is in the room. And no matter how I feel, the Spirit of the Lord is in there and the Spirit matters. And the Spirit not only matters, but the Spirit can give me a way to move forward. I want to encourage you with that as well, that the Spirit of the Lord can give you a way to move forward. We don't have to live katasarka, according to the flesh. We can live katanuma, according to the Spirit. If you're looking for discernment, maybe big picture discernment, maybe just take the next step. Begin to ask God yes or no questions. Begin to see your next step and take that step. Not some weird visualization, but just make room for Jesus. Make room for the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what's the next step? And watch God lead you. And if you've never had your Pentecost, if you've only had your Passover, maybe it's time for you to welcome the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to say, I don't want to be led by laws. I don't want to be led by my reaction to laws. And I don't want to be led by the flesh. Regardless of whether I'm depressed or anxious or upset or happy, I want to be led by the leading of your Holy Spirit. If that's you, I pray that you would find your Pentecost. All right. 
Thanks for listening. Hey, you can pick up my book. I got a chapter on Pentecost, the stuff I described here. It's The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get that on Amazon. There's the Audible version as well through my website, fairlyspiritual.org. Hey, this music is by my brother Dan Bursch. Hey, pick up one of his songs. That'd be really nice. You can find him on iTunes. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. You're the only one worth living for. So I'm My dreams with you